Today, as we continue our series, the, uh, the seven I am statements of Jesus found in the Gospel of John, uh, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, is today uh, that he said. And so I believe the Lord uh, has a special word for each of us today to hear and to receive from. And I've asked one of our elders, uh, Thomas Varghese, to come and share the word with us today. Would you welcome Thomas today? Morning. Is everybody awake? I'll try to fix that. Put y'all back to sleep quick. Um, well, looks like my notes are all gone, so you're all free to go home. Just kidding. <clears throat> So, ooh, it's a little loud, buddy. You know, we, uh, I don't know if you, I've, I've just stopped listening to the news. It's like, you know, same story, different chapter. And everybody with their version of what's right and what's wrong. And then the next person comes along and their version of how that one is wrong and mine is right and so on. It never stops, right? There's just a lot of bleep going around, (laughs) is what I can say. You know, we, we, we live in a world where people don't like to hear absolute things. You know, is that, I mean, in terms of, I mean, I wouldn't want to live in a world without absolutes. I mean, try building a house without absolutes, you know. Try, uh, you know, try running that thing without absolutes. There are, and but people constantly, in the terms of, we have this double standard almost like, well, I won't believe in, ab- I, don't, I don't believe in absolutes at all, especially when it comes to, I said, then I, my first question to them is, is that an absolute? See, we can't. We have to have some sort of absolutes by which, we live our life, both on the practical side, where two plus two always makes four, because if you don't, you'll have trouble. Try spending a space shuttle into orbit without doing that math properly. Or you driving on the wrong side of the road. And then we also have to have absolutes on the side in terms of how we live our lives. See, that's one way we live our lives on the practical side is, you know, we, we, we know which side of the road to drive on, you know, what not to do, don't jump off a building, it'll be a splat, you know, things like that. But <clears throat> on other things, we have to have some sort of a gauge by which we live our life. Otherwise, what the scripture says, you know, that you're like a person who's tossed about to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You know, one of, one of my favorite things to do is watch... Uh, rivers, you know, the water flow by me. And whenever I have the occasion, I just love to be on the edge of the ocean and just watch. You know, have you ever had a feeling when something's so big? You should do this sometime. Go out, you know, especially if you're, find some place where there's not 200 people if you're out on the beach and just, just stand there towards the evening and just wait. And you'll find yourself shrinking. 
because it's so massive out there. And, you know, one of the things that you notice if you ever watch a river, especially if, after a flood, there's little pieces of wood just bouncing around, right? Or floods them or, you know, little broken pieces. And what do they do? Who guides them? Nobody. It just, wherever the water bounces, that thing bounces. The only thing that has direction in the water is something that has power to direct it, like a boat, or something that's anchored down that keeps it from drifting, right? Those are the two things that can survive in that tossing water. So no matter how much, if you're anchored down, no matter how much the sea waves are going, you're not going to lose your place. If you have something to drive you, you're not going to lose your place because you can go where you need to get because there's something that empowers you to get to that place. Without those two things in our life, in terms of how we live, we'll be like a piece of wood that just gets tossed around, tossed around. And I'm guilty of this, and I'm sure all of us have been there, where we run into a problem, and what do we want to do? We want to find all our close friends and ask their opinion on how to fix that problem. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with counsel, because Scripture says that in much counsel there's wisdom, right? But at the same time, the primary counselor in your life is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's not your friends. It's not your mentors. It's not your mother or your father. Or some great speaker you, you know, admire or maybe. It's the Holy Spirit. Right? So what happens to us a lot of times is that We'll read the Word of God, maybe we'll pray, and maybe we get some sort of hint of an answer, but then we're going to run around to 20 other people trying to figure out what's the right one. You're going to get 20 different opinions. Maybe not. Maybe you'll get 10. Maybe some of them coincide, you know, especially if you're seeking after the Lord. He won't let you go too far adrift without fixing your problem. But if we don't have some sort of an anchor, something that says that this is the way something should be, then we have no place, we have no way to move forward. We're just kind of just floating around. So all these past few weeks, we've been reading these I am statements of the Lord. Jesus gave us these statements. Why? In order to assure us and to show us that he is the point around which everything revolves. If you can just get that down, everything else will fall into place. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am all these I am's that you're what. What he's saying is that you can believe it or not, but I'm telling you, this is who I am. And you know, the I am is not a New Testament thing. It's, it's there through the whole Bible. You know, one of the most famous ones that we are, are I am who I am. And God, you know, talking to Abraham, right? And then if you read Isaiah, you'll find all sorts of I am statements. I'm the God who made this. You know, I'm the God who did this. I did this. I did that. And then in Job, you'll find, he says, were you there when I set the foundations of the world? So all through the Bible, we'll find out that God has given us some absolute things to hold on to. Now, what I found out is that, you know, we have this whole thing about free will and God, what, what God wants you to do, whether you're just a robot that's 
been manipulated into the kingdom of God or whether you have any choice about it. Well, I, I believe that God gives us choices. If we are made in his own image, then we have the ability to choose some things, right? So even when he called Peter, James, and they were fishing, you know, and said, hey, come follow me. They had a choice, right? They could keep fishing or they could go follow him. And that's true for Christianity. Jesus calls you and you have a choice. And so there are two big decisions that you can make in your life. One is what you do with Jesus. Right? What do you believe him or not? Everybody, sooner or later, will hit that. Scripture says it's like a stumbling stone to some. You're going to run into that Jesus problem sooner or later. I don't care who you are. Even though, you know, everybody in the world runs into that. that some, and you have to make some choice. About, okay, you know, the stumbling stone is not necessarily a bad thing. Because at least you noticed it, right? <laughs> it made you fall. And you go, what in the world is this thing? And you got to do something with it. That's why some receive freely. Others have to stumble over it. And they have to stop and think about what they're going to do with this thing that's in their way. So the first thing is, how do you decide? For Jesus or not for Jesus? Okay? Now let's assume you made a decision for Jesus. To follow him to whatever you want to call it. You get saved or, you know. There's all sorts of things. You know, the 10 steps to salvation is nowhere in the Bible. There are lots of steps they're given to all. You call on the name, you'll be saved. You'll repent, you'll be saved. So, so the second most important thing you can do is you let Jesus decide for you. You make the decision to let Jesus decide for you. And that will predicate how the rest of your Christian life is going to go. Even though you're smart, even though God has given you intelligence, even though he's given you freedom to do everything that you want to do. What scriptures say that all things are permissible, but what? Not all things are profitable. So I have made, well, I say I've made it. I've made the decision. I'm not always very good at following through with some of these things that we do, right? But I've tried my best as much as possible that I don't preempt God from the very first step of anything. A lot of times, what do we do? We make a list of Jesus things, right? And there's a little line on the bottom that says, Jesus sign here. I mean, think about what we do, right? All right, so God's taught me something more scary, and it'll be scary for everybody. So one day I was sit, sit, sitting and thinking about this, and the Lord shows me things, you know, in pictures. So blank piece of paper, and it says, Thomas, sign here. I'm like, what's going on in this paper? Woo! And I said, why? Are you worried? I mean, you don't trust me? Yeah, I do, but I mean, what, what are you going to put on there? Never been there, have you? What are you going to write on the pages of my life, Lord Jesus? I've just signed my name to something. I have no idea what the heck I'm doing. (laughs) 
I know you're wondering what all this has to do with today's message. Well, everything. The thing is that we, God gives us all a place to come to. He gives us enough evidence to follow him. And he gives us just enough evidence not to follow him. You want to do something, and you go, okay. But even if you don't do it, it seems like it might be okay. But this is, the, this is the walk of faith. Right? We, are, we put our hope in things that we don't see yet. One of my favorite life movies talk to me all the time. You know, sometimes I lose it because I go back and watch the movie again because I forgot what the heck it was about. But one of my favorite uh, ones is from the Holy Grail, Indiana Jones movie. You know, he's trying to cross this chasm, right? Has anybody seen that movie? Several of you have? Okay. What it is is this, you know, he's in search of the Holy Grail, which is supposed to be like, you know, the water of eternal life. And uh, he has to cross this chasm, supposedly where all the grails are, and you've got to pick the right one. But you see no way across. And what is the line that says, only what a leap of faith from the lion's head will set you on the path? So when you're looking, all you see this hole, and you know, you can see Harrison Ford doing his thing, you know, and he just steps out. But as soon as he puts his foot down, apparently there's a path, there's an optical illusion that it creates, it's a big death, right? Well, guess what? You want to get to the other side? Only a leap of faith will set you on the path. And that's the way the Lord always deals with us. See, he doesn't give us a huge thing like, be like that German guy you went out to outer space and jumped free fall of, you know, how many ever thousands of feet it was from outer space. No. You know, maybe the first thing we do is make a jump off of a step that big. If you look back on your life and recollect the things that the Lord has done with you, you'll find out that he has led you step by step by step by step. If you look at where you are now, and you think you had to do what you do now back then, you would have never done it. He's kind enough. Right? And so he gives us what we need at the right times and the right doses to do the things that we need to do. And faith builds on faith, builds on faith, builds on faith. If you don't take that first step, you'll never get to where you have to go. You find yourself stuck? Look at the last thing the Lord asked you to do. If you feel like you're going around the mountain and not up it, look at the last thing that the Lord asked you to do. Finish that. When you finish that, he'll give you the next thing to do. Once I wrote to my parents, uh, you know, they've been my greatest counselors and founds of wisdom, and they never thrust anything on me. But sometimes when I get in a... What do you think? They're one of the few people I do go ask, what do you think? Especially because of their gifts. So I wrote, I said, look, I'm kind of like this. I'm trying to figure out what to do. And I feel like I have no strength, you know, to do anything. I don't feel like I have no, you know, energy and power. And my sweet mother, who will not hurt a fly, wrote me back a nice long letter. And the gist of it was like, what do you need power when you're sitting on your butt? That's the abbreviated version. You need only power and strength 
when you stand up and walk and climb the mountain. As long as you're sitting on your butt, no power. And I'm sorry if you're offended by the use of that word. I could use other English words that are more offensive. But <clears throat> um, What I'm saying is, is that God brings us to a path. And he gives us something. And then we have the option to do it or not to do it. And that will determine what your next step is going to be. All right? So what's today's passage? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Father God, I just pray that I know, Lord, that this is a big meal and not everything is for everybody. I pray that those who need what they need will receive what they need and take it. And I pray that your word, as it promises, will do what we're sent out for, not return void. In Jesus' name. So a lot of times when you come to church, you have to be careful not to try and swallow the whole thing. Because, you know, God sends his messenger, right? And sometimes it's a big meal. It's like going to a huge buffet. You don't have to eat everything on the buffet. If you do, you're a glutton, you know. Get what you need. And the Lord will have some of the stuff you're like, I don't know what that means. Don't worry about it. It's okay. What you needed to know, you'll understand. And the Holy Spirit will quicken your spirit. And, and so, you know, take take uh, all messages in that sense. So, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, Christians in the early days weren't called Christians, right? They were known as people of the way. What way was that? That was the way of following the teachings of Christ, right? So, so not only are people following Jesus, but he says, I am the way. What does that mean? I am the way. So, you know, in this passage, if you read a little bit before, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the time that he's not going to be with them anymore because he sees his crucifixion coming and he says, like, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And, blah, blah, blah. and Thomas, hey, Thomas says, well, Lord, I don't know where you're going. Right? And this was Jesus' response to his question. And he's probably going, I just asked him a simple question about where you're going, and he gives me all this. I am the way. Okay, what is that passage? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So one of the things that when earlier when I was saying that, that absolutes, people say, well, you know, Jesus is not the only way. And I grew up in a country with different religions all my life. I had, you know, Muslim friends. I had Hindu friends. I had Zoroastrians. I had agnostics, you know, Sikhs. And this was just my life growing up. And, you know, we didn't get into fights about religion. But, but I, I've seen all these other things. And so out here, you know, it's more of like, you know, world Jesus, you know, those two choices out there. There's world and Jesus and Ram and there's Shiva and there's, you know, I mean, there's like 20,000 deities for any version of things. So you're like, well, why should I follow Jesus? Oh, why should you follow Jesus? 
Well, one of the things is that if you find out that Christianity is the only faith that does not require the creation to do what is impossible. That is for creation to deliver itself. You know, the scripture is always talking to us about why you worship in idols. You know, you work on it with your hands and then you create and then you expect it to do something for you. Well, it can't. Let me repeat that. The Christian faith is the only faith that requires you not to do the impossible, which is deliver yourself. All the others, there will be some form of work your way to salvation, you know, yeah, Buddhism is that, there's the whole recycling thing is what I call it. instead of reincarnation, I call it recycling, please don't take offense, but yeah, I used to have arguments with my Hindu friends, I'm like, I always used to kid, I say, hey man, you better watch out because, you know, if you do something bad to me, it might be the toilet paper I'm using in your next life, <laughs> but they would get mad at me, <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, you have to consider the possibility, you know, that you turn into a plant in your next life and, and they make paper out of it, and there you are. Hey, man, how are you doing? <laughs> um, others require that you kill in the name of their faith. <clears throat> right? Others require that unless you do these 200 steps, you're not going to get where you're going to get. Well, have you ever tried to fix yourself? Or have you ever tried to fix others? Which I know we all do. It doesn't work. The thing is that we're inherently flawed. You know, the problem of sin has generated, it's just here with us to stay. And something outside of sin has to come to fix the problem of sin. And the only person, the only person who has ever even had the boldness to say that is Jesus. I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. Come to me. Whoever believes in me shall have eternal life. Shall not die, right? He knew who he was. You won't hear anybody else say that. Now, in my quest of life, so to speak, in my crazy days and crazy years, I, I did seriously do some other digging around for religions and stuff like that. I was into martial arts, so I thought, well, we'll try the little Shinto way and see how that goes. The problem with all of these is that you can't fix yourself. And I had a drug problem in those days. And nothing could fix me. You know, I, I, the most I can remember is going for, you know, six months, and then I went to another party, and before you know it, I was back to square eight. I had my friends dying from overdoses, and, you know, I had, you know, this thing happened. And one day I came home, and I was stoned, and the room was spinning. I was sitting for dinner with my parents, and, you know, the table wouldn't sit still. So I couldn't eat, so I had to go. I told my folks, I'm going to go to bed because I'm just not feeling well. My parents, you know my parents, they're saints, all right? I never did anything around the house to dishonor them because I, I respected what they believed in because they lived the life 
that they, they, they talked. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go take a shower to see if the cold water would help, you know. So I staggered to the bathroom and, uh, you know, dumped cold water on me. By that time, I heard a voice right next to me says, the next time this year you keep this up, you're dead. I went stone cold sober. Not from the shock, something. God brought me a moment of sobriety where I could see clearly what was going on. I mean, just think about it. You ask any guy who's been through any sort of addiction, you don't, that does not happen. One instant, I was stoned. The next instant, I was stone cold sober. So I went to my room, and I said, all right, Jesus, here's the deal. I've heard about you all my life. I mean, because everybody in my family is in I mean, I probably heard more gospel when I was in my mother's womb than most people have in their life. I mean, my grandfather, my grandmother, my uncles, my aunts, my dad, my mom, everybody. This is all they did. I have like 2,000 years of Christianity, right, in my family. So from hundreds, from the first century A.D. till then, you know, that's when my ancestors got converted to Christianity. So this is all... And then, so I, you know, I, but I was, I was sincere in the sense that it, nobody pushed me to do anything. This was all my own doing. I can't understand why friends let me astray. No, did it? I was just trying to find life, so to speak. I don't recommend doing that for those of you who are trying to find life. I'm just saying, avoid that. <laughs> but I said, Jesus, here's the deal. I've have, I've got this problem. I can't fix me. So, you know. You fix that, and I'll do whatever you say. I'll follow you. Otherwise, forget it. I'll never talk to you again. I went to sleep. So next morning, I'm going to class. I'm in college at this time. But, you know, this time I was, I had, you know, my skill set that you see me do sound and stuff like that put me in a unique place that I could make my own money to support my bad habits. So my parents didn't have to, they couldn't figure out a lot of what was going on. And so, you know, you ever been on a trip? You drive 15, 20 miles out. Somebody, did you lock the back door? I don't remember locking the back door. Did you turn the, you know, kitchen, you know, did you turn the oven off? Because right before you came, you were like cooking. You have this nagging feeling that you didn't do something, so you run all the way back home and find out everything's fine, right? Well, I had that nagging feeling all morning. I couldn't figure out what was going on. It was about 10.30 when one of my buddies in between classes came and said, Hey, Thomas, I need a cigarette, man. I had the wrap, Okay. I could get you what you wanted, and if I didn't have it on me, I knew where to find it. So I'm like, uh, no, I uh, quit smoking. <laughs> it all came crashing down on me that I was a chain smoker also. I was doing about three packs a day this time, 20-something years old. Right? <clears throat> and uh, it came to me that since I woke up that morning, I hadn't had a desire for anything. I went to bed and woke up flush clean. 1983. I was 22 years, 21 years old. <clears throat> I never have since then. Now, I know. It was a unique way the Lord showed me that he was, he said, okay, now I'm really unhappy, and I'm mad, actually. So, okay, you came through. Dang it. 
But, you know, it was a deal. The thing is that, you know, I never had to struggle. Unlike some of my friends who eventually came out of the same thing. They had to go to rehab and all. I mean, two weeks later, I was out volunteering at a rehab place, and people said, no, we'll never do that. You're an alcoholic. You don't go to the bar, you know, afterwards. I did. And uh, it's been like that ever since. Now, does God always do that for everybody? I don't know. He did in my case. But he was the way for me. And he showed me that, hey, there's things I can do. I can fix things. I can fix your sin problem. Doesn't mean we don't have to deal with it anymore, but he can fix it. See, people who do not have Jesus don't have a choice. They have to sin. Because that's what rules, rules us, right? People who are saved, who have the Spirit, Holy Spirit in them, actually have a choice to say no to what is wrong. People who don't, don't have that choice. I mean, they do have the choice, but they're unable, is what I've found out in most cases. Some will go for a good period of life. They might even be really good people saying no, but inherently, it doesn't matter because their sin nature is still there, and God doesn't, you don't have this new nature in you. So, anyway, so basically, when I came to the Father, is what Jesus just said, right? He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So, so this is, um, in, in, in the, what, well, the point I was trying to make is in those years when I was running around doing all these things, I didn't find satisfaction in the things that I ran after. There was only one way that eventually gave me satisfaction, and that was following Christ. And you'll find that to be true. You might be the best person in the world, you might be the nicest person in the world, but that's it. Anyway, so you cannot deliver yourself. Only Jesus can deliver you. Right? Uh, Isaiah uh, says, you know, look to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. You find the Old Testament full of things like, come, 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 come. So, one of the unique things about our salvation is that God looked, right, in Isaiah 59, it says, He saw that there was no one there to intercede. So what did He say? I'll make my own way to fix this problem. And He did. So He saw that there was no man and wondered there was no intercessor. Therefore, His own arm brought salvation for Him, and His own righteousness, it sustained Him. For He put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on His head. And that through Jesus, he made the way for us to do what we couldn't do. He didn't have to do it. But that's the amount of his love, right? All right. Moving on. Actually. So what's the truth? What does he mean by I'm the way, the truth? I don't know, man. <laughs> you know, if I, could, if I could write a book on that... You know, it. You know, it'd be sitting up there on the bestsellers list, and I'd be taking it out to lunch every Sunday after church. Well, there are some things that I don't compromise on. Everything else is negotiable. All right, one is on who Jesus is. 
I don't care if you wear your hair long or short. You know, whether you drink or don't drink, whether you like bell bottoms or don't like them, or whether you wear jewelry or not. I don't care. So I'm going to read something which I think encapsulates the truth of the Christian faith, which is commonly read in a lot of churches called the Nicene Creed, which is initially the Apostles' Creed, all right? It's kind of long, but just bear with me. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before of all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. Right? John chapter 1 tells us that. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit my notes ran away. The Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. This is the truth I believe in. See, one of the things about why we are unable to fix ourselves, you know why? Because of sin that's inherent in our genes. Jesus is the only one who's genetically sinless. And he's the only one who could fix that problem. That's why we have to believe in the virgin birth. That the Holy Spirit actually created life that was not created by man and woman who are both already flawed. So he becomes our first Adam. Isn't this, isn't this the coolest thing, though? That call on the name of the Lord, and should we follow me, believe in me, and you'll be saved. I mean, who's, who, who has made such an easy way to get out of hell? <laughs> and not only that, but to have life and to have it abundantly. I mean, there's somebody there who can fix the problem as opposed to the idols that we otherwise would have believed in. Now, you may say, well, I've asked the Lord to fix a lot of problems. He never did anything for me. You know, I just don't know what to believe anymore because it looks like my prayers don't get below the ceiling. Just chill, okay? Don't be like the little baby who keeps crying till you give him something. Maybe the Lord wants you to just shut up and sit down for a little while and listen to what he has to say instead of you blabbing all the time. When you're before the Lord, let your words be few. Speak, Lord, for your servant listens. When you lay on your bed at night, let your mouth be quiet, let your hearts be silent, and listen. Sometimes we think that, you know, God's impressed with all this babble. He's not at all. Just be quiet and learn. And this is our problem. 
We don't know how to be quiet. Oh, it's got something going on. TV going on, whether it's somebody else it. Radio going on all the time. Okay, I just want you to do an exercise this week. Take 15 minutes of your time and do absolutely nothing. Be still. Don't think about anything else. Don't think about what you got to do. Don't think about where you got to go. Just try. Just 15 minutes. Then try to progress from there. See if you can manage that. That means no fishing either. It's easy to do there. <laughs> fishing 15 minutes. Seriously, we don't know how to be quiet. We think that if we keep busy, there's something going on. No, if we do not learn how to be still, we do not know where to go. Because we want to hear the voice of the Lord telling us what we need to do. Right? Okay. And, and, and sometimes we think that learning, and you know, if you just like pile our life with Scripture and knowledge and everything, that we'll know the truth. But what did Jesus tell the Pharisees? He says, you search the Scriptures. And this is in John chapter 5, right? 39. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in that you, feel life, you find life, but yet you do not come to me. A lot of Christians do this. So my caution to you is, don't become Bible worshipers. You're thinking, what in the world is a Bible worshiper? A Bible worshiper is one who's so full of the Bible that he has no room to listen to what God says. Because <laughs> the words on the page are more important than maybe something the Lord's trying to tell you. Because this is what the Jews did. They searched, you know, here's the Messiah, here's the Messiah, is coming, we're going to believe in him. Messiah standing right in front of him. And it doesn't make any sense. Well, they don't believe him. Why? They have filled their heads with knowledge without knowing the truth. I, I've run across many Bible worshipers. So there's two kinds of words, right? There's logos and then there's rhema. The logos is a written word that the Lord gives us that we read. And the rhema is what he puts into our heart and our minds when we sit before him and he speaks to us. You know, and both of those go out, and then they create life. If you don't sit still, you won't know what part of the logos to deliver. You'll just be delivering word and word and word. It's like throwing the Webster's Dictionary at somebody every day and thinking they'll automatically increase their vocabulary. They won't. Neither will throwing the Bible at somebody every day increase their faith. It might turn them off, as a matter of fact. Francis of Assisi had a saying that I love dearly. He says, preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. Right? Okay. And the life. So that was the life part of it anyway. And uh, what did Jesus say? Anybody who what? Loses his life for my sake will find it. What does that mean? Have you ever stop to think about it? What does it mean? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things, right? What is our life anyway? A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. We live in a culture where everybody thinks their life is in the abundance of things they possess. Bigger house, more boats, more money, more this, more that. Man, I've got a great life. But you have to hear that little voice that says, Fool! Tonight, everything you have will be taken away from you. And you will die. Then what happens? 
So God's not saying don't have stuff. Please don't get me wrong. <laughs> don't go away and sell your boats and, you know, if the Lord tells you to do that, give it to me. But otherwise, just kidding. Don't, don't do stuff like that. I've had people actually do that, you know. I've heard about people doing that. I'm saying, what an idiot, you know. He didn't listen to what the word of the Lord was saying. He just went and did, you know. So listen to what the word of the Lord is saying. Have things, but things should not have you. Are you going to be content if you have nothing that you own today, tomorrow? What is it that brings you life? Is it love, joy, and peace in Jesus? Or is it, you know, big house, boats, vacations in the Bahamas? I know people who live like that. It's not enough. Next year they have to go do something better and bigger. The next year they have to buy something else. You know, they have to. It's a constant whirlwind of spending and buying and spending and buying. And it's an addiction. But the problem is they don't realize that they have a hole that's created in them. They're trying to fill with something else, just like all other addictions. This is a Jesus hole. Unless you fill that with, unless you fill your life with his life, that's all what's We're going to keep desiring Always desiring, but never getting fulfilled. So, you know, so Jesus now, he's a lot of things. You, I mean, if you, you know, one day I started making a list, and then I found out my mom had actually stuck a list in the back of my bow. That's something she was writing on. She does things like that. But anyway, so this is one of the few. So who, who is Jesus. Yeah, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. All right. So here he is. He is bread for the hungry, water for the thirsty, milk for the babies, meat for the adults. He's light for the darkness. He's strength when you're weak. He's your wisdom when you are foolish. He's your healer when you're sick. He's your provider when you need something. He's your fortress when you need shelter from the enemy. He's your shield and your defender. That means you don't have to fight. Come on now, this doesn't get you excited. I mean, he's my fortress, my glory and the lifter of my head. So all these things, you know, that I've just uh, spoken about, this is what leads to just think about any area of your life that you have deficiency God will be enough to fill it up. You don't have to bust your brains trying to figure out how to fix it. Just simply come before the Lord and say, Lord, I mean, blah, this is what I do. I just kind of throw up in front of the Lord. You know? And he's like, yeah, yeah, come here. Let me fix you, clean you up, change my diapers, give me something to eat that I need. This is what Jesus meant. You know, unless you're like a little child, you cannot enter. Like, you know, heaven. make yourself little children in front of the Lord. Don't be impatient like little children are in that sense. And trust him to give you what you need. My mom used to always caution me. She says, don't pray for all the stuff you want. He might actually give you what you want. Then you find out you really didn't want it. I've, I've had that happen to me. Ugh. What a burden. All right, 
So I want to give you a last minute illustration, I mean a last illustration and just about living life and listening to the Lord. God showed me, you know, I told you he always speaks to me through pictures and I may have used this illustration here before, but I feel like I need to share. <clears throat> a lot of times we think of ministry as a product. You know, here's the list of do's and don'ts in Christianity. I mean, if you do, it's going to produce another list of God stuff. This is the way us, we think, right? Yeah, you put your money in the vending machine, you push E and 1, and out comes Snickers bar. Hey, well, God's not a vending machine. You push those buttons, and the machine might just blow up. It doesn't work that way. So he's showing me something visually, and I just want you to think about this. Is that you wake up in the morning, and I'm not a big one to put burdens on people about quiet time, and you should have time with the Lord, okay, regularly. So, but, you know, just, just, just pretend, just pretend with me. So I'm up in the morning, I say, hey, and somebody's already there awake before me because he knew there's slumbers in their sleep, and you're like, hey, Thomas, how are you doing? I say, you're a morning person, are you? And I say, okay, so what's going on today? So, well, you know, I've got school, I've got work, we've got uh, demolition and things to do, and I don't know what all is going to get done. Hmm, okay, what can I help you with? This is how our quiet time should go. Because he is our ever-present help. Not just in times of trouble, but ever-present help. This is what I meant earlier when I said, try not to preempt the Lord before you make the plans. Invite him in at the very first stage of everything. Instead of coming up with a plan and thinking, I think this will work, let, me, let the Lord bless it. And a lot of times he does because he knows how stupid we are. But what scripture say? He makes everything work together for the good of them that love the Lord. A preacher friend of mine who says that God has calculated our stupidity into his sovereignty. So we're walking along and we have our little time and I say, okay, well, you know, go with me today. And if I'm going to do something stupid, please stop me. Because, you know, I, I do stuff like that. He says, yeah, I know. It's all right. So on the way, maybe you get the sudden urge about you see somebody. and say, oh, you know, maybe I should. I don't know. You just feel like you should maybe pray for them. So what's happening is when you're walking with the Lord, your spirit gets in tune with what the Holy Spirit is actually trying to do. So what he does is he does a tap-tap. See that person over there? You do that. Sometimes I left the house, you know. One time I left the house for a service with $43 in my pocket, and the Lord just said, pick that up. Odd number, right? So I'm in the middle of the message. All of a sudden, I remember I got this 43 bucks. I stopped the message. I say, somebody in here needs $43. Who is it? And everybody looks, looks at me like, is he joking? I said, no, I'm not joking. Who needs 43 bucks? My hand goes up in the back. How do I know? I don't know how to do that. I just have this little nudge, okay? What I'm saying is that when you start doing this, you'll find it that life will actually go easier. You'll know what you need to do, and you won't get into trouble doing the things you shouldn't do. And so maybe it goes along. Maybe you're, maybe you're at a party somewhere, or maybe you're just at church one morning, and you, know, you look at somebody, and the Spirit quickens you, you know, like, hey, you know, give him a hug. Or maybe the Spirit quickens you and says, give Thomas $10,000. I'm not saying <clears throat> but, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying that if we're not doing this first thing, we won't know what that thing is to do next. 
So don't make ministry a product. Make it a byproduct of what happens as you walk along the way, as you listen to the truth, and as you live life. In some ways, it'll complicate your life. In other ways, it takes a whole lot of pressure off of you. Because God, God's working through you. He knew you were like messed up long before he called you. He said, I, I know all this. I just need you to get up and listen and do what I tell you to do when I, when I ask you to do it. So, a real life story. I promise this is the last one. This is a time when the Lord is teaching me to pray without regard to circumstances, places, political correctness or things. And some of you have already heard the story, but for the rest of you, hear it again, because it's good to recount the things the Lord does. So I work for this company, and they have a company vehicle, and I go to this Exxon place on the bypass in Hollywood. It used to be Dudley's at that time. And, you know, every three weeks my truck runs out of this. I've got this monster of a 10-cylinder gas truck that runs out of gas every time you... That's all you hear every day long. So I have a company account there, and, you know, I've been filling gas there for years. Same people, own, a family own it, and, and the same guy. I've seen this kid, you know, he's going on through high school. Anyway, he ends up working there. One day I go in there, and, and he's got his arm in a sling, and, you know, I'm like, what do we do? Oh, man, hey, what happened? He said, oh, I got the gout. Oh, well, I hope it gets to feeling better. All right, sign the ticket, turn it. This is what we do, right? I walk out the door. I get in my truck, and no sooner out of the driveway, and the Lord said, why didn't you pray for his arm? I'm like, this is 7.30 in the morning. I'm like, why are you bothering me now? I haven't even had my first cup of coffee. You know, I'm just, I'm just not, a, I mean, why are you bugging me now? So I get in the truck, and I drive down. I get to Hollywood Shopping Center. And I drag this thing back around, and I can't go any further because I've heard the voice, right? <laughs> so now I have a choice to do what he said. Okay, so you want me to go back and pray for this? And this big Jonah in his big whale of a truck goes back to the gas station. And there's the guy. And this is when they had still had full service going on. And there's this nice old lady sitting in a Cadillac, and he's filling up, and he's up there. And I pull up right behind him, and he turns around and looks at me like, so he goes, he had this look on his face like, weren't you just here getting gas? So he walks up to me because, you know, I step out and he said, I said, man, can I pray for your arm, man? And he goes, what? You know, I said, can I pray for your arm? Oh, okay. He picks it up. This is my prayer. Now, many of you guys know me. You see how godless I am in this situation, right? So, <clears throat> Lord, he told me to come back and pray for this guy. I don't know what's going on. But I pray that you touch and heal his arm in Jesus' name. Amen. One breath, and I left. My duty was done. <laughs> I could breathe again. I go to the office so I get my first cup of coffee. Three weeks later, it's about the same time. I've forgotten all about this. You know, I'm like, hey man, what's going on? Yeah, good to see you. Have a good day. So I'm going to take it out and leave. I'm just about to walk out the door. And the guy goes, hey man, I don't know what you did to my arm, but it got better. <laughs> I went and sat and cried in the truck for the next 30 minutes. Thinking, Lord, you know, what a useless stick I am. But he just needed somebody to go and do the thing that you told me to do. That's all that he's asking when he says, follow me. I'm the truth, the way life. He just needs 
your hands and your feet just to do a simple thing. You do one thing, he'll give you another, he'll give you another. Before you know it, you're walking what people call the power of the Lord. You won't have a single day when you have to go looking for something to do for the Lord. Every day, there'll be an opportunity. I'm just telling you, if you can use a piece of useless piece of stick like me, you know, you can use anybody. I've never forgotten that. Never. Just do. Let me just pray and then whatever needs to happen. Father, I just thank you for reminding me even today that in spite of my foolishness, in spite of our even obstinacy and, and sometimes just downright disobedience and then recovery, Lord, that you still work out the thing that you designed us for. And I pray today, Lord, for those who are feeling inhibited by feelings of incompetence, insufficiency about their own ability to do things, about not knowing enough scripture or whether they're not so good as anybody else, if they're not living such a good Christian life. Lord, I just pray that you break that lie off their backs, Father. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray anything that is held in darkness that shows somebody that they're of no consequence of the Lord, I just bind that thought in the name of Jesus and put it under the blood of Jesus today. Lord, I pray that you would bring freedom and boldness into the lives of our, of our people, Lord. That no matter where they go, they be the hands and feet of Jesus. That out of them will flow rivers of living water, Lord. Not just a trickle or two, but an overflowing, overwhelming flood that consumes everything in its path, oh God. So Lord, I just pray, especially for the youngsters, Lord, that as they live their life, they try to figure out what's going on, that you would speak to them quietly and say, look, I know this might not seem like the best time to you, but I need you to do this. And that you would remove, Lord, in all of us, Lord, any hesitancy about how fit we are, whether we're confessed up or whether we're doing the right thing or wrong thing, but that we would be bold to listen to what the Holy Spirit says and to act on it and do the thing that you put in front of us. So we thank you that you have chosen these earthen vessels to hold heavenly light and to hold heavenly treasure, Father. And we bless you and we praise you. For we know, Lord, that which we commit to you, you keep. And we know that you make all things work together for our good because you love us and care for us. So we bless your name. We praise you. Lord, I pray that the word has been given today will bear fruit in days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.